Robert Half Research indicates 9 out of 10 hiring managers are having difficulty hiring. If you have open roles, chances are you're feeling this too. That's why you need Robert Half. Our specialized recruiting professionals engage with our proprietary AI to connect businesses of all sizes with highly skilled talent in finance and accounting, technology, marketing and creative, legal, and administrative and customer support. At Robert Half, we know talent. Visit roberthalf.com today. It's been a brilliant game. Just don't want it to end, really. Unless your allegiance lies with Shakhtar. Fitted by the Manny! Shakhtar players sink to their knees. Lastovic Goldwoods takes a deflection. Nobody could get to him. And was there a Real Madrid player standing in the eye line of the goalkeeper? No goal. A massive upset here in Madrid. Hey everybody, it's Wednesday Champions League recap. Atletico Madrid loses badly against a Bayern Munich side who really took advantage of the missed opportunities from La Liga side. Ajax loses to Liverpool just uh, with a fortunate goal, I would say. And plenty more to come in today's show. We have Jimmy Conrad, Jonathan Johnson. Join us right now. The first week of the Champions League is done and dusted. Here it is, Jimmy Conrad, Luis Miguel Echeverri, that's yours truly. We are gonna be recapping. Jonathan Johnson comes in a little later. Jimmy, Jimmy, how are you, my bud? Yeah, I'm doing great. Uh, so many exciting games, so many storylines to dig into. So I'm kind of curious where you want to start first. Well, we're going to start with Group A. Group A. And, you know, honestly, uh, that's Bayern Munich, Lokomotiv Moscow, uh, RB Salzburg, and of course, Atletico Madrid. Let's start with the big game in that one, okay? Bayern Munich against Atletico Madrid. Uh, Bayern come out and they just, you know, steamroll for nothing. But it, it was a weird one because for the first 25 minutes, I thought Atleti had something and they did miss a few chances. But uh, Bayern did their thing at home once again. Kingsley Coman uh, really showed up. Uh, everybody else did, and Atleti did not. Your thoughts, Jimmy? I've got a lot of thoughts on this, Luis. As I have mentioned in prior podcasts, I am a bit of an Atleti supporter, so I was gutted by this result. Also, my wagering analyst role, and I put my wagering hat on, I had Atleti to get a result in this one. I thought they'd get a draw at the very least. I thought that Bayern were missing Leroy Sané and Serge Gnabry. They just weren't going to be the same team. Thiago's not there anymore. Alfonso Davies on the bench. You know, I just thought maybe there's some magic there. Maybe this is a different Atleti with Luis Suarez in the team, and it wasn't. They're defending was shocking. It's like they watched the other Madrid club first and then came out and said, hold my beer. We're going to do even worse. I just thought Kevin Trippier, like ball watching on a couple, the, the back line wasn't great. Oblak couldn't even make any saves. It just was really disappointing. And, and I learned after the fact, and I probably wouldn't advise people to bet the draw had I known that Luis Suarez has, hasn't scored in his last two 20 or his last 22 away games uh, away from home. I just said away twice because I'm really smart because that's how hot I am right now uh, <laughs> in the Champions League. And he didn't do much today. Yes, he had some half chances or whatever, but it just makes me wonder about this Atleti team in general because they're starting to add pieces with a Suarez and then when they got Joao Felix and they got Angel Correa and they got, they got some guys that they can play and mix it up, but they get put in a formation that's very defensive. It's always very defensive. And I wonder, and I, it's hard for me to say this, but maybe Diego Simeone's time is up. Whoa. Maybe 
maybe he's just hit the ceiling with this group of guys. I know. And no, it feels, I feel bad. I'm almost like choking on my words <laughs> because I, I, I can't believe I'm saying it either. He, it, his identity is stamped all over this club, but this might be as far as he can go with these guys. They might either need to hear a new voice or he just needs a new adventure somewhere else. I just wonder because they just played against the best team in the world. And I know Bayern Munich does this to everybody, right? So you have to take, take that uh, into consideration. I just, there's a lot of vulnerabilities in this team. I don't think they're going to win anything of consequence, how they're currently set up and how they currently play. They might challenge for a few things, but I don't think they're ultimately going to get there. And I don't know what happens. You could just, is that what you want? Is that just getting third every season and not really pushing for titles is, I don't know. I guess I'm speaking as a fan more than, more than an, an analyst at this moment, but uh, I, I just wonder what the future holds for Diego Simeone. No, I think you have some valid points here. Uh, let, let's start with one thing. First of all, you know, when you looked at this game and, you know, Bayern Munich had 16 shot attempts to Atletico, Atletico 6, and one of them was only on target. But it was a really weird game at the beginning. Atleti actually had some good chances. And, I you know, Carrasco really, like, there was one moment where Joe Felix is sprinting. He's being chased by three defenders from Bayern Munich. He gives it to Carrasco. And for some reason, Carrasco takes that touch, and then he skies it wide. If that is a first touch... Boom, we get a game. If that, um, if Luis Suarez isn't in the way of the of the offside goal, boom, we got a game. So there, there were chances for Atletico Madrid to do something, which brings me to the point of what you just said about Diego Simeone. In the early stages of this Diego Simeone uh, team, strategy, idea, philosophy, those chances were put away, and at least one of them. And you saw a little bit more aggression, especially in the midfield. I, I, it's a really weird for nothing to me because the first, the majority of the first half, Atletico Madrid had a right to say, we're in this game. And then suddenly they fell apart in the second. Uh, they lost against the counter and Bayern did Bayern what Bayern does best, you know, 60% possession, et cetera. You know, so many weapons. But, and like you said, take nothing away from the fact that this is Bayern Munich, the defending champion. But a different version of Atletico Madrid would have done something different. And it's weird that now that you have Luis Suarez, that you were still having those question marks. So it, it does say a lot. Maybe Simeone needs a different needs a different story, needs a different page, needs a different gig. Maybe somebody else needs to come in. But all I know is this. It was a very weird for nothing. It wasn't like Bayern had stamped their power throughout the whole game. Atleti had chances and they really did not take them. So there's, there's two things here. This is what separates a great team from a good team. Atleti is a good team. Uh, that's been proven, uh, and they have the core players. These guys have done it time and time again. A good team hopes to score their half chances. A great team, like Bayern Munich, buries their half chances, the ones that are kind of floating around, and all of a sudden, Goretzka yeah. takes a touch and buries it, right? I mean, Kingsley Coman hoped that that ball was going to find somebody, and it did find somebody because they run with purpose, they get in the box, and they, and they make stuff happen. They don't hope for stuff to happen. I feel like that's a really uh, uh, important distinction when you're talking about good versus great, and I think that was on full display. What I'll also say to your point, this isn't Atleti from five or six years ago. Atleti five or six years ago were the toughest of bastards. Like, every single pass... Not, any, not even just like a shot. Like every single pass, Everything. you were going to get kicked. They were going to be somebody right up your backside. They were going to make it hard for you. There were no, there were no passing lanes. You, they suffocated you. This Atleti team, I think, is set up to do the same thing. They just don't make those same types of plays. The intensity that isn't the same as it used to be, even though you have a Saul who was actually hurt, but a Koke who's captain. You have some of the same names that you're familiar with. I, I just, 
some of the goals that they gave up were very unatleti like and I think that's what bums me out the most because I really just thought they had a good chance in this game. As you mentioned, they were good. I thought in the first 20 minutes of each half, first 15, 20 minutes of each half and could show they could, they could play with these guys. And then they just completely fell apart. They looked like Real Madrid against Shakhtar Donetsk and defensively. And, uh, you know, it's, it's, it's just, just disappointing. I thought there was more there and hopefully they can redeem themselves. They got four more group games and we'll see, or excuse me, five more group games and we'll see how they do. Yeah, no, absolutely. I mean, to wrap it all up, I think that this side is a little bit like Diego Simeone. Maybe it needs to change. And I feel like I'm Mauricio Pochettino's agent right now saying, well, maybe he can come in and, and kind of give some fresh perspective. But there you have it. Bayern Munich kicks off with a bang, uh, as many predicted. Let, let, let's stay in the group. It was the early kickoff. Uh, RB Salzburg. Uh, against Lokomotiv Moscow. There were some good goals in here. My boy, Dominic Slobosly equalized right there. Uh, you know, a good point. I think both could be happy, I guess. What, what do you think? I don't know if Jesse Marsh is going to be happy giving up a goal in injury time, no matter how it came. We could argue there was a foul before the play, before Lokomotiv regained possession. One of our B. Salzburg's players got kind of raked from behind. For me, that's a foul 100% of the time. The referee let it play. And that ended up leading to the goal. You still need to focus no matter what the situation is. I'm sure Jesse Marsh will be aggrieved that the foul wasn't called. And so will the player that, that uh, suffered it. However, you still have to have a team that knows how to close it out. That has the mentality to like, we're still going to make the play. We're still going to clear this out. We're not going to allow the second goal to happen. We're going to walk out of here with three points. I think they missed a big opportunity, especially with the Letty looking as poor as they did to really snatch all three points and say, we're going to get second in this group. And now that they have this draw, it's wide open. And I feel like that gives Atleti even more belief that they can still get the second spot in this group because these other two teams split the points. Yeah. And another point I feel, uh, and was the opener from Edda there. I think Jesse Marsh really needs to pay attention to. I'm sure he does. I don't, he doesn't need me to tell him this, but set pieces is a problem for them. Mm -hmm. Defending set pieces, uh, in corners, anything when the ball is still. And I think that RB Salzburg, if they can just rectify that, um, hopefully they'll be okay. But now they're, they're going to go, to Metropolitano to face probably an angry Atleti Madrid, but you never know what kind of Madrid will show up. Mm -hmm. But a point is a point. Uh, so in that group, um, Atleti faces uh, hosts Salzburg. And on the other side, we have Lokomotiv Moscow hosting Bayern Munich. Let's move on to Group D. Group D with Atalanta, Liverpool, Ajax, and Michelin, my poor Michelin. Every time I write about a team, they just go... <laughs> They go at it. I mean, we all expected it, but here we go. Let's talk about Liverpool Ajax. Um, Ajax, you know, such a good team. They play so well. Uh, they probably deserved a point, but you got to give credit to Liverpool. They fought hard, many injuries, many issues. Adrian looked shaky at the very beginning, but to me, the person that deserves a lot of praise is Fabinho. I, I thought he was fantastic, uh, cleared the ball off the line. It was I, 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 I disagree. It's Virgil van. <laughs> Fabinho now, right? Virgil, we'll his name. Virgil Van Fabinho. <laughs> Sorry, Van Dijk, you got to use yeah. another name because That's we right. have brand new. But he's just a Swiss Army knife uh, for uh, Jurgen Klopp, and he really did a good job. But it wasn't just him a collective effort because it wasn't it wasn't a pretty game from Liverpool. But they got a, they went away. They played an Ajax side that likes to play, knows how to play, especially on the ground, and they got three points. What do you make of it? Yeah, I thought it was a very professional performance. Obviously, they were very emotional due to the injury. With Van Dyke, they were still talking about it leading up to this game and how unfair it felt. And and I get it. He's such a 
big, big part of that team. And, and things changed when he joined Liverpool. They went from maybe challenging, hoping to challenge, right? That good to great thing. They added Van Dyke, and all of a sudden they got infinitely better and then were winning Champions Leagues. And of course, Allison helped as well in goal, having this steady set of hands. No disrespect to Loris Karius, but maybe a little bit there just from that final. A little shade being thrown at him. You add a couple of those pieces and it changed everything and it really unlocked their potential. And now that he's taken away, some other guys are going to have to step up and roll up their sleeves and do the work. And I thought that he put out a lineup. Jurgen Klopp uh, joked afterwards that the, that the medical staff chose the lineup because those are the only players he had available. But they did the job. Joe Gomez was excellent. Fabinho was excellent. I thought Andy Robertson was good. You know, you have the hard workers. Uh, Milner, in particular, Jordan Henderson came on at halftime. And Sadio Mane did enough. You know, he, he created that goal pretty much off as a throw-in, so pretty much out of thin air, rolled the, the center back. And, yes, I think his shot was going to go out for a throw-in, but whatever, you know? I mean, Tagliafico was like, no, it's fine. I'll just redirect it into our own net. Yeah, maybe they should have split the points overall. But I was really impressed with Liverpool's performance. They didn't get overly emotional when things weren't necessarily going their way. They created their own luck, and they walked out with three points. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, fortune did favor them a little bit when Klassen hit the post as well at the beginning of the second half. But, you know, this was a, a resilient Liverpool. And to your point, it, it probably wasn't easy, right, after the Merseyside derby and having to deal with so much then traveling. And then they actually started off really shaky and, uh, you know, a little bit of miscommunication. So fortune probably needed to go their way, I guess. But three points for Liverpool against Ajax. And, you know, when you look ahead now and you look at what's coming up, you know, for Liverpool and when the schedule gets busier, you're hoping now that this squad, you know, understands, you know, the value of who's fit, who's ready to go. And it's going to require a real squad effort because I thought the subs that came in, Minamino as well, I thought did a good job. It, it, club's going to need everybody. It can't just be about the starting 11, I think. No, I agree with you. I thought uh, Diogo Jota was very good as well. Yeah. I thought his combination with Minamino was very good. And then you have, I think they call him the power cube. Uh, the little guy that comes in. I can't even think of his name right now. Shakiri. Yeah, Shakiri, of course. So he comes in, they call him the Power Cube, which is a great nickname. And, and that's why they got those guys, right? They need, they need some depth. They need to be able to compete in multiple competitions. Those guys need to come on and change the game, maybe even start you know, here or there. And I think if they can lock down one of these top two spots early, that's going to really free up their schedule a little bit and allow them to rest Salah and, and Mane, especially if things get congested as it does at the end of December and January as they start to roll into the knockout rounds. But yeah, I was, I was impressed. You know, they pieced together a performance, but I actually don't want to take anything away from Ajax. I'm always continually impressed with the fact that they sell their best players pretty regularly, and yet they still compete. And not only compete, but they go at teams. My problem with Ajax is that when they get to the final third, they just really can't finish they, they don't have that guy that could that scores for them consistently and until they find that guy and then probably sell him a year later it, it's going to be it's going to be hard for them to really translate all the beautiful way that they play uh, and really have that rewarded without scoring it's 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 unfortunate because the way that they break down teams the way that they create numerical advantages all over the field and how simple they make it look no matter what age of the player yeah. it's oh, i love it i no, inject that inject that right into my veins luis but yeah, they're a beautiful but, team to watch they're they are but to watch. but but they don't have that they don't they never put the cherry on top no they need you know, that they never, yeah. yeah they need it they need it and i think that's what they're lacking for them to really compete after seeing them perform today I don't know if they're going to get through the group. Atalanta looked fantastic against Michelin's and Atalanta is just a very good team. And I just feel like Ajax might have a tough time overtaking them for second or whoever gets second it could be Liverpool as well, but just either one of those two teams.
Yeah, uh, Atalanta is my dark horse to go once again go real fun. They're not even really a dark horse. Everybody knows now that they're so so hipster of you, Luis. But you know what? Though we're watching the we're watching the London Studio Show, and and some of them were calling. uh, What's who's the dark horse to win it all? Um, uh, Roberto Martinez says Man City. Fair play. They haven't won the Champions League yet, but it's still Manchester City. Like you can't say that. Well, can we can we have him on Kegelasso to talk about that? They're 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 the favorites on William Hill. Like they're plus four hundred to win it all. And his argument is like, Man City hasn't won the the the, the Champions League. Uh, that doesn't, count. doesn't, that doesn't matter. Count. <laughs> it doesn't matter. <laughs> so anyway, okay, a gray horse, Atalanta, for me to. But yes, so Atalanta beats Michelin, uh pretty confidently. Duan Zapata, the Colombian, opens it up. Papu Gomez with a beautiful smash to make it to nothing. Then the uh, other. I, I, Colum- can we say maybe? Can we call his goal a que golazo? Gay. <laughs> <laughs> His goal was a Kegolazo. So good. And then uh, Luis Muriel, uh, the other half of the Colombian uh, star duo, makes it 3 nothing, uh before halftime. And then just at the end, uh, Miranchik makes it 4 nothing. So we knew that Michelin was going to struggle here. Now they have to travel to Anfield, which is not going to be easy. Uh, and Liverpool hopefully will get six points. So you're thinking that Atlanta and Liverpool will get out of this group. Um, anything to add on that game, Atlanta, Michelin, pretty straightforward, right? No, I'm just looking at the stats right now. And what I appreciate about Atalanta is how they can hurt you. There's so many different players. You, you try to key on, let's say, Papa Gomez, and you're like, oh, great. I got Duvon Zapata back here. They're just everyone. Uh, yeah, and then you got, you know, Muriel. Sometimes he starts, sometimes he doesn't. But he has a, obviously a nice rapport with his Colombian teammate. Um, you know, you got other players coming on. Christian Romero is a good player. I mean, they just got all these different options. They're outside backs bomb forward. And, and I love to see what they bring to the table. Also, from a mentality standpoint, there's two things I want to point out. One, they got slapped around by Napoli mm. earlier this week. A couple of days ago, they got beat 4-1. They were down 4-0 at halftime. I was curious to see how they were going to respond, despite the opponent being somebody they should beat. I, I didn't know how they were going to do it. And by scoring early and scoring fast and scoring a whole bunch in the first half, you could see them have that spirit and fun and joy again. That's, that's one thing Two, I like when teams that should beat other teams stomp on those teams. It wasn't like they played to the level of their competition. They got after it, knew how to beat them and, and, and made it happen. That's, that's not an easy thing to do. And then the third thing is they were in the competition for the first time last season right so everything was new and they had nothing to lose and there was no pressure this time around you can see they got this confidence that they expect to get out of the group stages yeah you know they're carrying themselves in a way like we got unlucky to lose the psg last time around we got hosed in that game or whatever it may be or however they're feeling about it we want to get back there and i love they had that sense of purpose and this and this confidence that i think only comes from that experience that they had last season had they not had that i'm not sure they'd be walking around the same way especially after result after getting slapped around by Napoli. I, I, I really Jimmy, like that, a lot of the components here. Jimmy, they have that 90s hip hop swagger. That's it. Like, that, that's that's it. it. Like they enter like last season, they just came in and they said, we don't care. It's our first time here. We're going to do some business. And two, you made two good points. And the first one is about losing to Napoli. Atalanta is the kind of team that needs to, I think, lose like that in the season. So mm-hmm. it can kind of wake them up even more. 
and just be like, all right, no more. This isn't happening anymore. And the second point is they don't care if it's your debut in the Champions League and if you're a little team from Denmark, they're going to make you remember that. And, you know, whether you are Liverpool or you're Michelin, they're just going to go after it. And that's why there's so much, you know, they're so liked. And because Gasparini's strategy is just like, we're just going to go out, out for it in a gung-ho situation. And that's why we want them to, we want them to do well, because also they don't have the Qatari money. They have the budget of a Reading in the championship. This is a team that just doesn't care. And I like it. And for nothing against Michelin proves exactly that. Any other points? You did mention Papu Gomez was a good bet to, uh, to score. And he did. It was a beautiful goal. Yeah, it was a beautiful goal. I think a lot of uh, guys over 30 had some pretty good games today. Luka Modric scored a kegolasso today. Kegolasso. Uh, uh, Matteo Valbuena assisted on a goal today. He's 36, still doing it for Olympiacos. They scored in the 90th minute, you know, um, and then you have Papa Gomez, you know. So I know we talk about the younger players a lot, as we should. There's a ton of potential out there with Erling Holland and Gio Reyna and Vinicius Jr. and Christian Pulisic and all these guys. But the old guys are doing it too and showing up when it matters most. So I was impressed with uh, the old guys on this particular match day. And I'm looking forward to just, just there's, there's so much possibility. I feel like everybody still has hope after match day one or, or during match day one. And there now you kind of have some things that have been shaped, right? So now it's going to be interesting to see how all these clubs approach match day two. So I'm excited for next week. Yep, exactly right. Hey everybody, as promised, we have Jonathan Johnson here. We're going to talk about Wednesday's Champions League action. And with JJ, we will stick with Group B and C. Group B, the early kickoff matches. JJ, good to have you, my friend. Let's start with Real Madrid against Shakhtar Donetsk at Alfredo Di Stefano Stadium. Man, what a game, huh? What a game. What are your thoughts on that one? Yeah, absolutely wild. Uh, you know, I think everyone was surprised coming into the match to, to see Zidane, you know, drop out some of the, the regulars. I, I really thought somebody like Benzema would be preferred in attack, uh, you know, to, to, to make the results safe and, and ensure a strong early start. You know, and to see Shakhtar come out with that kind of first half performance, considering everything that was going against them, you know, all of the COVID cases decimating uh, that squad. It, it was just incredible to, to, to witness what unfolded in the, uh, in the first 45 minutes. And then, you know, watching them in the second, some of the chances that, that Shakhtar passed up, you know, they were full value for the win, I felt, uh, overall with the way that they played. Uh, but you know some of the chances that they had the the scoreline could have been even greater it was it, it really was uh, a, a very underwhelming performance uh, overall for from Real Madrid even if they had the uh, the late equalizer chalked off because of VAR uh, and uh, a hugely heartening one for for Shakhtar especially when they get all of their guys back uh, looking ahead now to this group stage with a bit more optimism absolutely i mean let's rewind a little bit as you mentioned so many uh, absentees due to COVID and et cetera. So we had about, not about, we had eight players uh, under 23 years old, uh, such a strong also Brazilian connection. Um, and the first goal I thought was one, it's probably one of the best that we'll see all of the season. It, they played it from the back. It was about 20 passers or so, you know, playing on the ground. Granted Real Madrid weren't doing enough to press, but the finish uh, you know, by Tete, but it was just such a good goal. And then that sort of capitalized into the Rafael Varane own goal. And just before halftime, Solomon got it to three, nothing. And you thought, wow, this is incredible. Obviously, Zidane probably went crazy in the locker room. And I would say, and here's a question for you, JJ, 
Is there a bit of arrogance here? I mean, obviously he's looking ahead to a Clásico. He wants to make sure he's ready. But this is the Champions League. And, you know, you kind of can't completely throw it in the towel just thinking that it's Shakhtar Donetsk. Did you think uh, Zidane made a few mistakes here from the get-go? I think he underestimated uh, the the strength of this Shakhtar squad that, that was left over after all of the, the, the positive COVID cases. Uh, and, you know, I, I do think as well that he perhaps should have learned from what happened last season when they made a slow start, when we saw them come to come to Paris, get quite soundly beaten in that match. Uh, and then they, you know, really ran it close against Club Brugge before finally getting their, their group stage up and running uh, quite late on. So I, I would have thought that Real would have, uh, you know, resolved to, to start this group stage much stronger than they did last uh, and, you know, I think perhaps, yeah, there was a complacency factor. Okay, you know, perhaps one eye as well uh, on the, the, the match coming up this weekend. Obviously, it's a, it, it's a huge one. But, you know, you, you can't write off uh, a, a team like Shakhtar Donetsk. You know, they, they've, they've been around so much now over the last few years in Europe. Uh, they've got some very, very talented players. Uh, you know, and they showed that uh, even with COVID decimating that squad, uh, that there is still players there who can who can play some, some fantastic football. You know, you rightly praised the the opening goal, but you know some of the some of the football they were playing at times, some of the chances they created, it was you know really fantastic, exciting to watch, and you know it makes that group a lot more exciting and appetizing now moving forward because on paper ahead of the opening matches, it, it did look like Real would, would probably run away with it. Absolutely. Yeah. Three points for Shakhtar Donetsk. Luka Modric scored a great goal, and then Vinicius Jr., literally seconds after coming on, makes it 3-2. But 3-2 to Shakhtar Donetsk. So Shakhtar Donetsk leads that group now because Inter Milan and Gladbach, uh, your Gladbach, a very good team, but unfortunately Romelu Lukaku was just a little bit too much, too all in that game. You needed Lukaku uh, to really capitalize to get the best out of it. But Gladbach looked good. Um, what do you make of that game there, uh, JJ? Yeah, I'm very happy to see at least one of my predictions sort of half coming, uh, half coming through. Uh, I, I did have my fingers crossed that they would, uh, you know, get across the line and, and take all three points. But I, still, I think, you know, if you're mentioning Gladbach coming away uh, from Milan with a point, that, that is a positive start. Milan having to save it in the last minute. Uh, you know, in order to, to to avoid embarrassment, you know, that will feel, okay, maybe not like a defeat for them, but they'll be disappointed with that. I think they pre-match, they would have been targeting all three points uh, for that one. So it uh, didn't surprise me to see Mönchengladbach put up such stiff resistance. Uh, also didn't surprise me, uh, you know, to see Inter stumbling at the, at the first hurdle. Uh, I think there's definitely more to come in, in this group, and I'm just excited with the way that it's opened up now with, uh, with that Shakhtar Real result. Uh, and, you know, I think it plays into this feeling that I have that, that it'll be Inter, you know, who perhaps miss out on, uh, on making it through to the latter stages. You know, I think Mönchengladbach have really given themselves a, a good chance now of uh, at least securing that second spot. Absolutely. And, you know, when uh, these, uh, this group returns, uh, Shakhtar Donetsk will host Inter Milan and Gladbach against Real Madrid. So plenty to play for. Let's focus uh, on Group C now. And let's talk about uh, your French sides here, um, JJ. PSG, of course, didn't get that win against Manchester United. And now Marseille playing Olympiacos. Olympiacos wins one nothing. Uh, Valbuena with the assist, I believe. Uh, what do you make of that game? How's it looking for French sides as we begin the Champions League? 
Yeah, gutting to to see Marseille go down so so late on. It's you know never a nice way for for, you, for a team to start their Champions League campaign with conceding a last minute goal. But Marseille are going to have to pick themselves up and dust themselves off now, especially looking uh, at the other results in the group. You know, seeing City run out quite comfortable winners against Porto. Uh, you know, Marseille have that work uh, cut out for them now. They'll be disappointed as well. Uh, you know that I I feel that you know they they could have done more. Uh, over the 90 minutes to, 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 to get the win. Uh, and, and overall, that feeds into a bit of a disappointing start for French teams in Europe. I'm not going to dwell too much on the Rennes result. I mean, I think a draw at home uh, against Krasnodar for, you know, Champions League debutants, both sides Champions League debutants, in fact. Uh, you know, I don't think there can be too much criticism of them there. Uh, you know, but looking at this Marseille result uh, and the PSG result, you know, I think that, both sides would have been expected to at least avoid defeat. You know, the fact that both of them have lost, uh, obviously that cranks up, uh, you know, a, a bit of pressure on these French sides, uh, you know, moving into the next couple of matches in the group stage. Uh, I think there's more pressure in Paris right now than there is in Marseille. Uh, you know, everyone's under no illusions with Andre Villas-Boas. Uh, this will be his last season in charge of, of Marseille. Uh, he won't be continuing after this campaign. Thomas Tuchel, you know, I think he's going to be lucky to get to Christmas at this rate. Uh, you know, to lose at home in the group stages for the first time under Qatari ownership. I mean, I was this PSG season ticket holder the last time they lost at home in a Champions League group stage match back in the early 2000s against CSK Moscow when Zenit coach Sergei Semak, a defensive midfielder, scored a hat-trick. Uh, and, you know, it's that that kind of stuff is, is not painting a positive picture for, for French football right now. And, you know, I think Marseille would have been disappointed by the, the start that they've made in Ligue 1 this season, with the exception, obviously, of the, the win away at PSG. I think they kind of took the foot off the gas, perhaps got a bit complacent after that result, getting uh, that monkey off of their back, having be, having gone so long without beating their, their bitter rivals. But since then, they, they've not really picked up that much form. Uh, and I think that they would have probably been hoping for, uh, you know, a bigger splash uh, at the beginning of their Champions League campaign. So to go down like this, you know, especially at the hands of a, of a former player in Matteo Valbuena, it's that that's going to hurt. So, you know, Marseille now know that, you know, they have to be performing at their best. They can be playing City next. That's going to be no easy task uh, when you bear in mind the way that they performed against Porto coming back. Uh, for the 3-1 win. So plenty of work to do for, for these French sides and only really Ren uh, can emerge uh, from this week's results w without too much criticism. Yeah, had Dimitri Payet's free kick gone in, it would have been quite something. Uh, but no, it's not to be and Marseille has to face Man City. Let's talk quickly about that Man City game, Man City against Porto. Porto opened the scoring, Luis Diaz, the Colombian winger, a tremendous solo effort, but then Man City picked it up and, and grabbed all three points. Um, some really good performances. Gundogan's free kick was amazing. Ferran Torres, uh, off Phil Foden's assist to finish it off 3-1. Uh, pretty straightforward for Man City, would you say? Yeah, absolutely. And I think you would have expected that as well. You know, Porto are not quite the force that they used to be. They used to be quite an intimidating side uh, for some of the bigger European sides to draw. You know, that kind of fear factor has gone away uh, a little bit. Uh, but, you know, they do still have uh, a, a lot of quality within the ranks and, you know, they made a good start. Uh, but, you know, City reacted as you would have expected them to. 
you know, finally, you know, got back in the lead and, and never looked back after that, really. Like you said, uh, you know, some, uh, some, some lovely performances and, and fine goals going forward. Uh, and I think City will feel comfortable now with, uh, with the remainder of this group stage. You know, they've sort of pushed their, their exit to Lyon last season uh, to the back of their minds already. Uh, and they'll be, they'll be looking forward. And I think that, you know, now this is, this is their group uh, to lose almost. Uh, I can't see anybody bettering them uh, over the remaining games. I think it's going to be a fight for, for second place behind them. I think Porto and Marseille are probably the two sides that you'd most fancy taking points off of, uh, off, off of City or would have fancied taking points off of City coming into the opening matches. But based on uh, opening form, I'm not sure Olympiacos or Marseille uh, are going to get much joy against this City side. Uh, you know, and Porto obviously look like they're going to be playing for second best uh, at best. So, you know, it's we'll we'll see how the rest of this group stage pans out. But uh, for, for for me, I think that this is going to be a big next couple of games for the likes of Porto and Marseille, especially as Olympiacos, who, you know, I think a lot of people would have had pegged for, for bottom spot in that group, have already picked up three points. Absolutely. Jonathan Johnson from Paris. JJ, good talking Champions League with you. And we'll see you next time, brother. Always a pleasure. Thank you, Jonathan, for that input on Group B and Group C. We're back with Jimmy and we're going to answer some questions. We got some good questions. Two questions, Jimmy, uh, coming at us. And uh, here we go. The first one, my friend, the first one is from... And that's why I'm taking my time because I'm reading it, all right? From uh, our friend, John Ashley. John Ashley, I know he's a Man City fan, so uh, big shout out, I guess, for that win. John Ashley, what's the best goal you've ever seen live? Uh, you want to go first or you want me to go first? I'll go first. I had, I'll give you guys some context. I played in the 2006 World Cup, but for this particular game, it was against Czech Republic. Now, if you can remember the American team, we did very well in 2002. We got to the quarterfinals, got unlucky. If VAR still existed, we would have got to the semis because there was a handball on the line. I don't really want to talk about it. We lost to Germany. <laughs> I wasn't a part of that team, but that was an am amazing run. So coming into 2006, the hype was real. We play against Czech Republic. They got Jan Kohler, who's like seven foot two, used to play for Dortmund, just slam dunk. He slam dunked on us three minutes into the game. He ends up pulling his hammy like 18 minutes in, and I think that, that killed them. They didn't have a number nine that could play like him. So they didn't get out of the group. But the second goal of that game, Thomas Rosicki, I was on the bench and I was sitting next to Ben Olsen, who was the then head coach of DC United for, I don't know, 50,000 years. And uh, he hits his bomb from 35, 40 yards, top corner. Casey Keller stretched out, full stretch, can't get there. And those were the balls, if you guys remember those World Cup balls that just flew off your foot. And we looked at each other like, holy crap. Like if the camera had been on us, because we you know we're on the bench. You can't be goofing around when your team gets scored on. But we just could not believe the kegolasso that we scored, <laughs> that we saw and witnessed. So that was by far the, the best goal I had seen in person, uh, obviously being very close to it. And maybe one of the best national team performances I'd seen played against us. Uh, Czech were so good. And it, it, honestly, if Jan Kohler had stayed healthy throughout that tournament, they would have gotten out of the group and, and easily had a deep run. Well, that's a really good example. I like it. Um, my example, unfortunately, is Villa, but it's it's against the Villa. It wasn't for the Villa. I I I, I hate doing it, but I have to do it because I was there, <laughs> and um, it was my 
I was, I was a senior in college and I, we went up to Villa Park, Villa Arsenal. What a good game. I mean, around that time, 2002, such a good Arsenal squad. And uh, well, there goes Robert Pires, gets a long ball <laughs> from the halfway line. The ball bounces down to him. George Boateng from Villa comes to try and mark him. Pires chips him, like just puts the ball over him. See Schmeichel literally just off his line. And we're talking 20 yards out from the penalty box and chips Peter Schmeichel. And it's, I mean, I was watching it live and it was all Villa fans. And when he did it, when Robert Perez did it, everybody was just like, we have to stand up and clap that. That was <laughs> unbelievable. It was a sad, but I'm in one of the most ridiculous moments, the best goal I have ever seen live. Shout out to Robert Perez. Uh, for, for that goal, for what sure. What a player, by the way. I don't know if he's appreciated like he should be. That guy is a tremendous player. We forget so many people. So yeah. many people we forget. I'm telling you, Pierce is one of them. All right, second question from John Talbert, a good friend, John Talbert. Thanks so much for the question. All right, so Shakhtar Donetsk did their thing today. 3-2 against Real Madrid. Take it in mind that Shakhtar had, uh, you know, absentees because of COVID and other issues. Eight players were under 23 years old, and here comes Real Madrid, and they lose 3-2. Um, should he should Sedan be concerned? Should Real Madrid fans be concerned about you know the team's current form? Yeah, 100. percent If I'm a fan, I'm thinking through a couple different things. One, where the hell is Eden Hazard? You know, when is he going to get healthy? We we paid big money for him to be our replacement for Cristiano Ronaldo. We don't have somebody that if we're not playing well, he'll take the responsibility and score, and that's what Cristiano does very, very well and still continues to do for Juve. Uh, and then when Sergio Ramos isn't in the team, you, what, we can't win a game in Europe? I mean, that's that's ridiculous. You should definitely have um, some other options outside of him. You start Veron and Militao, who I actually thought were okay in the Manchester City game when they played in the Champions League and got knocked out. Veron made two really uncharacteristic mistakes that led to them losing that one. But overall, I thought they were sound. But they still led to these kind of like cue the circus music mistakes. So these two guys get rolled out again in the Champions League and cue the circus music, Luis. I mean, it was just like, what kind of goals are these guys giving up? So, so there's that that point. Like, where, where, where are the players that you need to help you win these types of games? I understand that Zidane is preparing for El Clasico that's happening this weekend. So he's trying to rest a few people. He starts Luka Jovic. He starts Rodrigo over Vinicius and Benzema. What I find interesting is why he would do that because he brought on Benzema at halftime. Why not just start your best 11 that you have at your disposal? And then rest. Okay? And then once you have control of the game, then you can take him out at halftime. Mm, he did yeah. the opposite. They're down 3-0 at that point. Now they're chasing the game. Also, they put Furlan Mendy on the right side. He's a left-footed player. I mean, Carvajal's out. Odriozola, who could maybe do both sides, he's out. They had uh, Ashraf Akimi in and their he side. Got they, seen, man. Hey, got, got they seen. just let him go, you know? And then what Greg Aon is a, definitely, for me, probably a better play, player than Marcelo at this point. Listen, I love Marcelo, but he's just, he's not, a, we, I talked highly I about Marcelo old guys earlier. five years ago. Like, yeah. yeah, exactly. So they just gave away all these other options. So it makes you start to think, well, what kind of decisions are they making as a board? You know, if they're, they're letting some of these players go around and, and maybe giving minutes to younger players like Rodrigo who might not be ready for those minutes just yet. Maybe he still needs a little bit more time. I know they were hoping for the best and having it both ways, where they could still get a result against a Shakhtar team that they should beat, no 100% uh, hands down, and then be rested for, for El Clasico. But it really backfired on them, and their form isn't very good. And I do worry about them a little bit. But that said, for all you Madridistas out there, Madrid always starts slow. I don't know what the deal is. They always start slow, and then they come good at the end, and everybody's like, oh, well, they won the league again. You know, Zidane won us the Champions League. All is forgiven, you know, so we'll see how it ends up playing out for them.
Yeah, well, that to me, this is Real Madrid to me is like you know if you're imagining you know one of these lions in 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 the jungle, uh, you know, and you know watching one of these documentaries and they're asleep and they're kind of just like chilling and walking around <laughs> slowly and then suddenly they realize that you know oh I gotta eat like it's getting late and uh, I gotta feed the fam and suddenly they wake up and it doesn't take until around Christmas period for them to do that and that's kind of been the case that and the thing about this team too is that and this is why I think it's Sedan's biggest homework it's motivation keep these guys motivated and even though you bring in people like Rodrigo and Vinicius Jr and younger players you know, uh, you know, Valverde from Uruguay as well. Some players, some younger players who don't really need that much motivation. I always feel that the club itself is so big. Sometimes that's its own weakness. Like sometimes that hunger needs to come from the very, very beginning. And listen, we're making a lot of criticism, but they are La Liga champions. And, you know, it's early in the season. And if they win against Barcelona and, you know, other results go their way, they'll go top of the table. But this is the Champions League we're talking about. And, to your point, these players needed to go from the get-go. It doesn't matter that, you know, um, you got a classical coming up. This is the beginning of what you call the most prestigious tournament in the world. You, nobody has won that more than you. Like, you need to respect it and you need to do something about it. So I agree with you. The big players, Benzema, Modric, etc., all of them needed to start from the very beginning. And then you see how they develop because they got seen. The first goal that Shakhtar Donetsk scored, by the way, was one of the best goals that I'll see all Champions League season. And it, it was a 20 plus passes and it was so good. But part of it is because Real Madrid was like, all right, here you go. And you can't do that. So El Clasico is going to be really interesting yeah. to me. It's going to be really interesting the, to me what happened. I agree. I agree. I think the, the big uh, talking point really should be that uh, without Gareth Bale, Real Madrid just haven't been the same team. You know what I mean? Like, he's not there anymore. Some bad <laughs> things are happening. I mean, that's the real storyline here, right? Whether he's on the bench or on the field, if he's not on the squad in some capacity, they're struggling. Well, he may have left, but the golf pace, the golf hobby, like <laughs> energy is still there. But we'll say, but the other point about Hazard is very true. Where are you, man? Like this team needs you. I mean, this team needs a lot, but I think that motivation needs to be there from the beginning. I don't like it that suddenly it happens in like January or whatever, mm -hmm. but there are, there you are. There are your two questions. Thank you so much for joining us. Wednesday's Champions League action was awesome. Please make sure that you also listen to our Europa League preview because that kicks off on Thursday. And we will also be back for our weekend recap. Jimmy, Conrad, Jonathan Johnson, thank you so much for joining us. See you next time. Thank you so much to Jimmy Conrad and Jonathan Johnson for joining us for Wednesday's recap of the Champions League. We will see you tomorrow or Europa League recap, and of course, plenty more as we look ahead to the domestic action in the weekend. We'll see you next time. Paramount Plus and the National Park Foundation present A Mountain of Zen. This Earth Week, you can live stream seven national parks for seven days on Paramount Plus. Paramount Plus, official streaming partner of the National Park Foundation.